Hello, Maxine Simata Kavithid Kamraig, Ryan and Rob. Hi, Maxine here, Ryan and Rob's Welsh translator. The Hing Grando are Podlidiad Newith, Fearless in Devotion. You're listening to Fearless in Devotion, a new podcast all about Wrexham AFC. Hello, Cross on all to Fearless in Devotion, the Wrexham AFC podcast. Apologies if I sound a bit under the weather. I have been unofficially diagnosed with fresh as flu now that my COVID test has come back negative, but it got me out of a seven-hour round trip to Aldershot, so it could be worse, eh, Andy? Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Does anybody want to reimburse me for that? Do you know what? The worst thing that happened was scoring that second goal. If we hadn't yeah. scored that second goal, they'd have put a bit more of an effort in, into getting that second half. Once you've started the game, you've got to do your very best to go through it. There was one area of the pitch which was particularly bad, but the ground staff came on at halftime, did a bit of lacklustre hoeing or, you know, just putting putting like a fork in the ground. Didn't squeegee it at all. And I, I just mm. I thought it was touch and go when the ref came out in the second half, but he gave it a go a couple of minutes in. The pitch wasn't playable. We'd lost two players through injury because of it. Um, you know, it's probably was the right decision, but it's just yeah. so galling that we were playing so well. We we were playing some great stuff. Jordan Davis looked a different player. He was mm. physical. He was knocking about. Mullin and Hyde are just pests. They yeah. are rats. They're just just the way that that Mullin was angling his body to receive balls in in, in crappy positions you know on, on, a, on a bad pitch he was nutmegging people he was going past people they look a real handful and I'll, I'll just I, I mean the last thing I'll say is Hosanna started slowly he started a bit he started a bit like he didn't really know if he was if he was good enough because he was getting the ball and all he wanted to do was knock it forward and whip a cross in without really much without really much idea but as soon mm. as he went on a run went past a couple of people I thought we've got a player there he went past two. He, he nearly scored on, on one of his Quality. first runs. And after that, he was a threat and they had to mark him. They had to come out to him because they knew he was a threat, which created more space for Mullin and Hyde. It's exactly how the wing-back role should be played. Very positive to hear. Sounds good to us. I, I, I did see a comment. I think it was Gareth Owen on Twitter said, uh, absolutely peak Wrexham. We've appointed uh, two captains and they've both got injured within 30 minutes but obviously 20 minutes later the game was abandoned after we went 2-0 up so just when you, you you never hit peak Wrexham it just never happens Tim did that stick in the throat a little bit for you as well because it sounds like the um, Tozer injury is, is quite bad yeah I mean I, I looked at the highlights like last night and it looked like it was filmed on a really crappy VCR or something it was, it was pretty rubbish so I tried to look at the, the Tozer injury and he was clutching was it his left ankle or something like that. It looked like he was clutching his left it's ankle. It's his shin, apparently, isn't it? Yeah. According to Park- um, Parkinson. Yeah, I mean, it's it's rough look. It's rotten look. Um, would I still swap it for a win at Stockport? Yes, still smarting about that. But there we are. Um, yeah, you know, a lot's been made of the captaincy issue this past week, and just when you think it, it might just simmer down, it seems to have bubbled up to the surface again by virtue of them both getting injured. Um, but yeah, can we can we talk about that? Because I got to be honest, I was a bit surprised. We, we'd mentioned as as it happens last week, didn't we, about um, how Tozer would probably be captain if he'd been signed a bit sooner. 
I was a little bit shocked, and I see I've seen a couple of people mention it as well that if you were going to sign a club captain and an on-field captain, that it would actually be the other way around. Luke Young would be more the ambassadorial role, um, sort of grandfather of the house kind of thing, and Ben Tozo would be on the pitch captain. But they went the other way around. Yeah, uh, well, it's it's slightly bizarre, but. It's done with now, so we just got to get. I mean, I, I think there's a, there's a there's a bigger meal made of it than what it perhaps should be. To be honest, ultimately, no, I agree with that. Yeah, I don't think Luke Young's that asked whether he's club captain, team captain, captain of the bloody ship. It doesn't matter as long as he's playing and he's in mm. his place. That's all that really matters at the end of the day. Um, it'd be interesting to see how he if he flourishes again without that that full sole responsibility is the only captain there. We'll we'll wait yeah. and see. Um his injury seems less less serious than, than Toza's, but yeah, you know, if you're going back to the the sort of typical Wrexham sort of thing, yes, we've had some shite luck, but it's nothing that we've not seen or heard before. So we just gotta get on with it. And it's not it's not like we haven't got the options this time. That's that's the good thing. And and, and football frankly isn't like rugby and cricket. Uh have it, who your captain is isn't actually that important. Now, I, heard, I heard Peter Schmeichel on the radio because he's got a book out, isn't he? And he was interesting the other, the other day. He was saying that it doesn't matter who the captain was of that great United team. It was a, it was basically a senior leadership group. That that that's what mattered. It, you know, having having a captain doesn't make much difference. Anyway, but, can but I, the flip side of that, mate, is if you have been made captain to then have that role sort of taken out taken yeah. from you that's that's a bit unsettling and I can I, imagine I can imagine Young not being very happy by the way that yeah. came out I suppose a lot of it depends on how it was how he was given the caps in the first place as I say we don't know these are all private but I do I do tend to agree with Tim that these things are blown out of proportion it didn't seem to affect the group yesterday did it no, exactly. no. So, you know that's 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 the uh, the sort of line in the sand for me if if, if it was so unsettling we would have yeah. felt, 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 felt apart, wouldn't we? So. Yeah. But anyway, we'll, we'll have to make some changes now uh, as Toza is bound to be out for at least weeks. Uh, let's pray it's not a huge amount worse than that, although it sounds like it could be. Um, so I'd imagine Brisley in, French at centre-back, Hosanna right-back. Looks uh, looks about the option to me. Um, mm. I, I think there was, a, there was probably one... One good thing to come from yesterday, Lennon didn't play a full game, so probably could play Tuesday. Yeah. Yeah. Can I uh, offer, loathed as I am to offer an opinion because of my employment background, is is a lot of the uh, anger at uh, the older shot um, sort of groundsmen a little bit OTT? I mean, I get the I get that it sticks in the throat a little bit, and maybe I wouldn't be saying this if I was actually there and I was sort of getting soaked. But is is it not a bit over the top? Because it was going to get called off anyway, wasn't it? What is Squeegee in the pitch going to do when the rain is coming down that hard? It's shit outsery of the highest form, isn't it? It's shit out. Oh, we'd we'd be doing the same if we were throwing yeah. them down to Chesterfield it's, it's dark, on Tuesday night. Dark arts, but they should, based on, on 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 the conditions that I could see, they should have just made some sort of attempt. Just to show they were doing their job. Yeah, I, yeah. Exactly. Every, every, everybody would have known deep down. There's no way this game's going ahead. But you'd have, at least from a from a public perception point of view, you've got to look like you're a professional outfit. And yeah. they look like a bag of shit tin pot team yesterday, and that's why it's sticking sticking in the throat. And also, it was one part of the ground that they really needed to concentrate on, and okay. they didn't. But if they'd have been two 0 up, you would have bet they would have concentrated on that part yeah. of the ground. But but it, but it still would have got called off. Do you know what I mean? 
Yeah, I mean, I mean, it probably would have, yeah, because the rain was incessant, it was not stopping, and it didn't stop for another four four hours in London. So, yeah, mm. it, it wouldn't it wouldn't have gone ahead. But I'm going to go out on a whim and say we will win the rescheduled game. I know we normally wouldn't, but I'm saying it, we are. So and I can go now. I thought I'd lost my tickets, but um, I'm going to be able to go uh, with the tickets I had. And just, just yeah, might... Well, bully for you. All great for you, then, isn't it, <laughs> It is great for me. I don't care about everyone else. It's brilliant for me. So as long as oh, it'll be on a Tuesday night, though, isn't it? That's, uh, that's not going to be pleasant. Still, Free, free coach travel as well, I think the club have tweeted. Not from Swansea there isn't, mate. But... No. <laughs> <laughs> no, yeah, apparently it's free coach travel, isn't it? Uh, so, um, yeah, that's good. That's good news, at least. And hopefully we can take a decent amount down there. Anyway, it's time for this week's guest. Before we do that, let me just give you a reminder. As you all know by now, Fearless and Devotion is sponsored by the Fat Ball. Um, and on Monday night, the 4th of October, when this podcast is released, the Fat Ball is holding its Back to the 90s night, where you can enjoy five courses of food, and five drinks for just £32 sterling. Talk about recession busting. So if you're listening to this podcast on Monday evening, don't bother. Get down the fat ball where you'll see Tim Edwards bobbing along to some of his favourite Spice Girls tracks, no doubt. Anyway, time for this week's guest. Andy spoke with him a few days ago. We've listened to it. What an engaging guy with lots of great stories about his time at Wrexham and some really shocking stories about his time at Liverpool too, providing a fascinating insight into the life of a young professional footballer there in the 90s. We hope you enjoy. Right, he probably made the biggest impact of any Wrexham youngster, bursting onto the scene with an iconic goal against West Ham. Pacey and direct, that earned him a transfer to Liverpool in a move that compared him to no other than Ian Rush and made him the costiest teenager at the time. Despite horrific injuries, he had a really good career, becoming a Welsh international and returning to Wrexham three times. The last time he was involved in another successful side, the last one to achieve promotion under Dennis Smith. He played in iconic matches under iconic managers, and it always seemed to be mean a little bit more because he was a local lad. Welcome to the pod, Lee Jones. How are you? Thanks, Andy. Yeah, all good. Thanks, mate. All good. You weren't actually a Wrexham youth product, were you? How did they how did they miss out on you? You must have been right yeah. under their nose. I think obviously many, many years ago there wasn't no such thing as sort of centres of excellence and uh, academies. So I I came into Wrexham quite late. I was uh, basically I went through school, didn't do great in school, uh, a couple of GCSEs, we ended up going to Yale College and doing some resits. Uh, PE was one of my resits, and uh, there was a guy, a teacher called Mr. O.M. Edwards, and at the time he was very well known, very well known. He's, he sadly passed away a few years ago now. And uh, he basically said to me one day, I need you to play football for the football team. And I was like, I don't really want to play, I'm not, I don't know. I'd been through school, I'd played since I was sort of nine, eight or nine and I just sort of wasn't really be bothered about it. He said, well, it'll look good on your, on, at the end of the year with your PE qualification. So I took that as a little bit of, well, I'm here to pass my, my GCSE, so I might as well play. So I played one game. Uh, we were playing at Connorsky College and we won, I think it was 2-0. I ended up scoring two goals. And after that, he said to me, he said, fine, thanks very much. He said, you know, and, and obviously carry on doing what you're doing. And then 
the draw for the next round came out and he said, right, I need you to play in this game. And I'm like, Mr. Edmonds, you know, I, I didn't agree to this sort of thing. And he said, I've told you it'll look good on you, on your sort of at the end of the seat, end of the, the academic year. So reluctantly, I ended up playing again for them. And it was actually against Lex, who I was playing for on a Saturday. Uh, and I ended up scoring four goals and Cliff Seer had, had, had watched me in this particular game. And he said, listen, he said, I've had good uh, reports from Johnny Edwards, who was the groundsman at Lex. And he said, I, I know you're playing for Lex seniors. You're obviously now playing and also playing for the college team. And will you, will you come down for a trial? So I was like, yeah. I said, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm happy to come down. So I, I went down on a Sunday morning. There was around 15, 16 lads in the away change rooms, the same in the home change rooms. And Cliff basically, Cliff Seer, uh, basically came in he said right lads just to let you all know there's only one YTS place available so it's like oh right okay so we go onto the pitch and, and we start playing uh, and within I, I think it was probably about five minutes Cliff Sear just said to me he said Lee come off and I'm thinking oh, mm. that's, that's me I'm, I'm done sort of thing yeah yeah, yeah. I've, I've literally been on the pitch for five minutes I, and off the top of my head don't recall anything that happened uh, other than probably running around, maybe having a couple of touches, I don't know. And uh, as I came off, he said, I want you to go up and see the manager. He's in the director's box, uh, Brian Flynn. He said, have you ever met him before? I said, no, don't know. Who he is. Well, he obviously knew he was, but I said, never met him. He said, go up, go and speak to him. So I, I went up into the director's box and he said, right, I've seen enough in five minutes to know that you're going to be a pro. And I was like, oh, right, okay. He said, so we're going to now offer you the apprentice uh, place that's up, that's available. And the game's still going on down below me. Mm. And, I, and I was like, right. He said, uh, there's just a couple of conditions to it. I said, right. He said, there's only, because it's a second year, he said, there's only a one-year placement. He said, so you'll be on, you'll be able to catch up very quickly. So you can have to hit the ground running. I said, okay. He said, uh, the second thing is, he said, you'll be on £29.50 a week. Wow. What a princely sum. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I went, wow. I went, okay. He said, but out of that £29.50, you're going to have to put £5 in a pension every week. And I'm like, are you being serious? He said, yeah. He said, and if you don't want to do that, I'll get somebody else from off the pitch down there. And I said, right, so how long can I have to think about it? And he said, well, now. <laughs> so I was like, okay. He said, fine, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll. Obviously, I'll, I'll come on board. So that was in sort of, I think it was around the May time. And then we started pre-season in the July. And then, obviously, it sort of grew from there. Went in as an yeah. apprentice with, with Cliff, Joey, Brian Prandle, and Idris Price. And and then, obviously, sort of got through the youth team, if you like. And then, obviously, mm -hmm. made my debut for, for the first team against Man United in the European Cup. Couple yeah, I was going to say about that. Yeah, there was a rule, wasn't there, that you had to be yeah. sort of a homegrown player. So I can I can remember that that team. Well, I can't remember yeah. that team that much, but I think you know, it was, it was eight, eight players. Yeah. You had to have eight players in your starting eleven that were homegrown. And there was myself and Kev Jones. We were the, the two apprentices, and and, and Phil right. uh We were the three Welsh apprentices uh, in the second year, and. Kevin, Phil were on the bench, and I was. I ended up starting. We went to Old Trafford. Obviously, we went to Lingby first, so we we won at Lingby. 
which was on you playing that one, Lee? No, no, I was on the bench at, at Lingby when we were over there. Uh, and then we came back, got drawn against Man United. We got beat. We were on the bench at Old Trafford. We got beat 3-0. Yeah. And just, well, obviously, from walking out two months earlier at Lex in front of one man and his dog to walking out at Old Trafford in front of 45,000 people was just, I couldn't believe it. Yeah, and, then, yeah. and then, obviously, we got beaten 3-0. So there was no sort of, not that we... <laughs> Not that you think or expect you're going to beat Man United over two legs, but then the second game sort of come along and and that was just a, a total shock. I didn't expect to play. Uh, and we were training down at Wrexham Rugby Club. Mm. And the day of the game, 11 o'clock in the morning, and he named the team. And I sort of thought I heard my name in, in the team. And uh, one of the and, and we went and broke off for training, and one of the lads said, "Oh my God, you're playing tonight!" And I was like, "No, that wasn't didn't say me." And they were like, "No, no, honestly, that, you're playing tonight." So I thought the, the gaffer hadn't said anything, but Joey hadn't said anything to me, so I thought I've misheard something. So we finished training after about forty minutes, and then Joey and uh, Joey, Kev, and the gaffer Brian Flynn called us over, and he said. Just to let you know, you are starting tonight. You did hear it, right? He said, we didn't tell you. We were going to tell you last night, but we didn't want you to lose any sleep. So, yeah, I can imagine. For the game tonight. So I was like, what? Well, so I'm starting. They said, yeah, you're starting. So he said, it's 12 o'clock now. Get yourself home. Get to bed for a couple of hours and come down and, and be ready at 6 o'clock. And that, that was literally it. And then obviously, you know, got sort of thrown in at the deep end. We got beat 2-0, but... You know, the experience was unbelievable. You know, yeah, I mean, as a homegrown player, you know, playing it, making your, your full debut for your hometown club against Man United, it doesn't come much better. Yeah, absolutely. In, in such a prestigious com- competition, it was a good good United side as well, wasn't it? They they, they took it yeah. very seriously. Yeah, well, they, so, won they won it. They beat, I think they beat uh, Barcelona. Barcelona, yeah. It was a huge final, wasn't it? I think he, he knocked it. in two, didn't he? Yeah. Scored two. That was, so, that, so we actually got beat by the winners. That year, so it was, it was yeah. mad. It was, it was surreal. I remember a game. There was a game on the Commodore Amiga. It was called Manchester United in Europe. And unlike FIFA now, when you can pick each match, you have to play yeah. the exact the exact team that right. United played to get in. So I'm pretty sure. Yeah, I'm pretty sure it was Wrexham full full uh, full squads full name. You were in that game. Yeah. So yeah, I can. Yeah, on on the way, I can remember that 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 yeah. game and that route to the final. Um. So. Yeah. If we fast forward a little bit now towards towards yeah. more of a, a, another sort of big match at that time, how close mm-hmm. were you to that to, to that Arsenal squad? So I was I was in the first team for about four weeks prior to it. I played every game, and then I remember we played uh, Hereford on the box. I was at the, the box or the New Year's Day away, and I went. I, I remember I didn't go in for many tackles, but I remember going in for a tackle, and I got caught on the hip. And as I got up, I just knew that it, it, just, it just wasn't right. And I thought to myself, oh, I should be okay. I'll be a day or two and I'll be fine. Mm. But as the week went on and, and the game got closer and closer, I knew that I wasn't going to be fit. And I remember uh, the gaffer saying to me on the Thursday, he said, uh, what, what do you think? He said, because, listen, we're playing Arsenal, you've got to be 100%. And I said, I'm not. I said, and, you know, I could tell you that I am, but there's, there's just no and I I couldn't even run. I wasn't, wasn't even at a point where I could hide it. You know, it wasn't, 
and that knock on the ankle that you could sort of hide, it was, I could literally not run. So I said, I, I got to rule myself out. So I remember being sat in the stands with Mel Pedgick had just signed uh, yeah. for the club. I remember being sat with Pedge and going one nil down. And I said, oh God, I said, it just doesn't look, doesn't look good, does it? And he was like, no, half time, you know, we'd been battered in the first half. And, yeah. uh, and then we came out second half. And I, well, I remember being sat right behind, we were in the Yale stand near the cop end and we were right in line with Mickey's free kick. And as soon as he hit it, Pedge said to me, he said, well, it looks like we're going to Highbury. He said, you'll be, he, said, he said, you'll be fit. He said, and I'm not cup tied. He said, so we'll be all right. We'll be all right. We're going to Highbury. And then obviously Steve, he scored the goal. And, oh, he and really the rest is <laughs> oh, so, uh, yeah. So uh, I obviously didn't get, didn't get to play at Highbury, but I got to be honest, it was, it was the best feeling, even though I wasn't, it was the best feeling being involved at a club, even though I wasn't directly involved in it. Yeah. Because obviously being a Wrexham lad, they're top champions of the English, you know, first division as it was then. We're bottom of 92 league clubs. There couldn't have been a bigger gulf. And, and for me, it's still the biggest upset in cup history, you know. And, 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 you, and you see different games that have gone on the last 20 years and they said, oh, that's a big cup upset. There's nothing bigger. And I might be being biased because I'm a Wrexham boy. But for me, there's no bigger cup upset, I don't think, in the FA Cup. I think what you've what you've just pointed out is you know you were bottom they were top but I also think if you look at that Arsenal team that was a full strength team I mean you might say Campbell I mean, and maybe Carter but yeah everyone else yeah I mean they're all internationals all internationals Merson Winterburn Adams Seaman you know it wasn't like they'd come there like they would now and put maybe an under twenty three team mixed with maybe a few few first teamers. Back then, the FA for me mattered as much as the football league did. Whereas now, it doesn't. I, for me, you know, I used to dream of winning the, the FA Cup. Same as every kid many years ago when you're playing in the park. But now, I don't think it's 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 not got the same sort of value for me. Uh, yeah. I think it's diminished a little bit. But at the time, you know, and then obviously with the the pitch invasion at the end, and I remember Steve. I remember our physio at the time, Steve Wade, picking up Stevie Watkin on his shoulders. Yeah, and iconic picture that, isn't it? Absolute chaos, but it was so good to see. And then we had a good night after that as well. It was a, it was a long night. As you can I, was going to ask, well, I was going to ask about the celebrations. I bet oh. Mickey was well involved in them. Yeah, it was a, it, it was a long night. I mean, obviously, I think back then the pubs used to shut at like two o'clock, but mm. we went in, we went end, we went ending it anywhere near two o'clock. It was it was a long night. So if we go to the next round, I think yeah. that's the that's the goal. I think a lot of a lot of well, football remembers you for really. Mm. Um, I mean, what what went through your mind when you picked up that ball from from Gaz Owen? Was it just instinct? Did you know exactly what you were going to do with it? Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I was only on the pitch, I think, for a couple of minutes. I know, you know, Brian Flynn, he, he said to me, "Go and get warmed up," and I remember vividly warming up in the corner and the. The actual fans were literally two or three yards away from you, mm. and there was spit. There was food. There was drink. I'm covered from head to toe in spit. Wow. And, all the and and they're doing this, and I'm thinking, oh, I just want to get on. I just want to make. I just want to ram this down their throats because you know you can't spit at people no matter what. But it was yeah. normal at the time, I mean, certainly in in the in Upton Park. And I, I remember Brian Flynn called me back. He said, right, go and score. And I was that determined just because of that they'd wound me up. 
And it was just, I, I remember the ball going into the corner and, and I remember Gaz picking it up. And I think if it would have been any other player, I probably wouldn't have made the run that I did. But obviously I'd played for 12, 18 months with Gaz and I knew that he had a range of passing like no other midfielder at the club. And as soon as he picked it up, I thought, just make a run. And I made the run and I remember, I remember as he's, as he's kicked it, I thought to myself, it's going to drop short to Steve Watkins because that's how, that's how it looked. And then the more it travelled, I thought, oh, I'm getting on the end of it. And then obviously, as soon as it went over Steve, I knew that I was in then. I obviously, I was 17, 18 at the time. 18, I think I was at the time. And Tim Breaker was the fullback who was 34, maybe 35. Oh, I felt sorry for him. <laughs> yeah, and, and listen, I, I, at the time, I knew that I had the pace on him and obviously I've gone through. I've actually scuffed a shot. You know, I get a little bit, well, I get a lot of stick from it now from a mate uh, around here. We'll go to the pub and they'll put the goal on. Look at this. It was a poor strike. I said, if I'd have hit it well, he'd have saved it. I said, but you only get one goal if you put it in from 35 yards or put it or bobble it in from 10. So I always knew that when I was running through, I had an idea where I wanted to place the ball. I just didn't get good contact on it. But then, you know, I've had them situations no end of time and got good contact and the keeper saved it. So... Perhaps it was fate that day, but from the actual shot, which was around the sort of penalty spot, to the time it actually went in the goal, it seemed about a year. It was just, it just took forever and ever and ever. And I'm thinking, get over the line, get over the line. And then obviously it's gone into the back of the net. And all I remember is faces pressed up against the fence and arms coming through the, because obviously it was all corrugated fence and stuff. Yeah. And it was just arms and legs. And I, I was just like, oh, my God, you know, I've actually scored it. And obviously, it was, a, it was a first division ground, a premier division ground. But, you know, it was just... And to see the fans, obviously, my family were there as well. My mum, my dad, uh, my grandparents, my aunties, you know. So I was trying to sort of spot them. Couldn't spot them because it was just arms and legs everywhere. But that was fantastic, you know. And that's probably... That was the goal, I would say, that that probably got me the move to Liverpool. You yeah, know, I was going to cut TV. You know, all that kind of stuff. It was on TV, it was in the press and all that kind of stuff. And I think that's probably, you know, or, or not so much got me to move, but alerted people to me, you know, obviously being a Wrexham. Yeah, I mean, if you think about it, it's, it's pace, it's directness, it's what it's what clubs were looking for at that, at that point. I mean, just just as a, just before we get on to, to the move to Liverpool, mm. I mean, that cup run, did you sort of sense that was the start of something special and under Flinney, the sort of players that, that you know he was starting yeah. to bring in, the likes of Connolly, the you know, you yeah. coming through, Watkin coming through? Yeah. I, I I think the year before, us not getting relegated or being able to be relegated, sorry, that that over that sort of period helped massively with the gaffer throwing in the young lads because if we finished bottom, which we did, it didn't matter. But he was all already looking at the season after. Whereas I think if we could have got re- or if we could have got relegated, I think he possibly wouldn't have he'd have thrown the youngsters in, but I don't think he'd have thrown as many in. And then 12 months after that, I don't think you'd have probably got the benefit of Phil Hardy, you know, uh myself, the it was Carl Connolly, Gaz- Stevie Packin, Gaz Owen, Wayne Phillips, you know. But then you had the experience with Vince O'Keefe, Mark Satori, Andy Thackeray, Mickey, Gordon Davis. So there, it wasn't just all youngsters and it wasn't just 
all experience. There was a good mix between the two. And to be fair, you know, I've got nothing but admiration for all, all of the staff and all of the players that I ever played with at Wrexham because, you know, they looked after us as youngsters. And don't forget, it was a tough upbringing, you know, being battered every single week. You'd go to Waldershot, you go to Chesterfield, you know, you'd get battered by these teams and by these players. But you always knew that Joey's in the corner with you or Gordon Davis is in the corner with you or Vince is in the corner with you. So you always knew that if it sort of kicked off, you've always got the backing of these senior pros, which for the young, young lads, it was invaluable. And I think the year after is when we actually got the benefit of it. Not so much getting beat every week, but you obviously, at the time, you don't like getting beat and no fan wants to see, see the team getting beat every week. But I think the year after, that's when it obviously came to fruition. And I think that gave, obviously, Brian Flynn and Kev Reeves and Joey more confidence in blooding more youngsters as, as the seasons yeah. went along. And obviously it went on and on and on, you know, the likes of Brian Hughes and, you know, obviously, as I said, brought Carl in from non-league, Lee Trundle, Andy Morell, you know. Mm. No one can ever, you know, people can question it. Well, you know, should he brought in all these youngsters? But they're the most successful players probably that have been in alongside of the football club. So, you know, I, I, I think he did a fantastic job. I was really disappointed when he left. But football, you know, it happens and people move on. Yeah, I know I know what you mean by that. It's, it's almost self-perpetuating in some ways, isn't it? If you get a good reputation, and I know crew have traded on this for, for quite yeah. a while, of, of being yeah. good with young players or giving like non-league players a chance, more and more yeah. of the top ones want to come to you because they, they can see a, a, a direct... And I'm sure that's what you're working with, you know, what you work with at Tranmere and things like that. Yeah. Um, just one thing before we get on to the move to Liverpool. Now, we've mentioned yeah. him a few times. I always thought that, that Gazoin was a bit unlucky, and I don't know really why he never really got a move like mm-hmm. you did. Yeah. Because I thought there was a, he was an incredibly talented talented player there. Yeah. I mean, he could have played higher, couldn't he? Of course. I mean, for me, Gaz at the time... There was Phil Hardy and Gazzo in and Wayne Phillips and Stevie Watkin, myself. And I think any of us could have gone and, and, and made the move to Liverpool, if I'm being honest. You know, at the time they were looking for a quick centre forward, you know, which obviously I fitted their profile in what they wanted. But anyone that wanted a, a, a midfielder, a dynamic midfielder, box to box, a left back who's always eight out of 10 every week, you know? Yeah. People at the time, people wanted different things, obviously. But I, for me, certainly the, the players and, and other players, the likes of Wayne Phillips, etc., they all could have played a lot higher than what they did. I know for a fact that they were clubs looking at Gaz. I am not sure whether Gaz wanted to actually leave. You know, perhaps Gaz wanted to be a one-man club because he loved Wrexham the same as what I did. And I just chose a different path, you know, and... and <laughs> You can, you can stay at a club sometimes too long or you can think, right, well, like a Stevie Gerrard, for instance, no, I, I don't really want to leave anywhere because this is my club and this is where I want to stay. You know, you, mm. it's, it's all on the individual, you know, and but I, my own personal belief is that anyone in our, anyone in our club at the time, any of the youngsters could have gone on and, and played at a higher level, you know, and I, I was just fortunate. The game that I, I got my move from was... Uh, Scarborough at home. I think we'd won two 0 I'd scored. I'd had a decent game. I know that Graham Soonis was there, but he wasn't even watching me. He was watching Phil Hardy. But he's seen a. You know, I remember that. 
Yeah, I, but, I think I can remember that the Dave Lovett put it in the back of the leader, I think. Yeah. But on the night, I had a particularly good game. Phil probably had a steady game, as, as he always did. He was always seven or eight out of ten, Phil. Mm. But I might have caught the eye with a bit of pace and I scored a goal. And perhaps that's what Graham Tunis won the time when I fitted Liverpool's profile. When I actually went to Liverpool, they didn't really have anyone in behind. So they had, like obviously, Rush and Saunders, but they didn't really have any sort of forwards in the reserves. So looking back now, it, it was logical that they might take me to be a reserve player for a couple of years with a view to getting them in the first team. You know, So perhaps that, that was what they did at the time. But mm. yeah, going back to the question, any, any one of us, in my opinion, could have played higher. When did you first hear about the Liverpool move? And, and more importantly, what did Joey say? <sighs> yeah, so I mean... We played Scarborough on the on the Tuesday night and then we had the Wednesday off. We, we, if we played Tuesday, we always had Wednesday off. And I remember being out and around sort of half past five, I got a phone call, say, uh, sorry, about five o'clock from my mum saying, you need to get home now. I was like, well, why, what, what's the problem? He said, oh, the chairman and the gaffer are here. And I was like, what for? He said, oh, God, <laughs> that sounds bad. <laughs> so I, I was actually at the bottom end of row C, uh, so I was like, right, so I've jogged home, jogged up the road. Oh, bear in mind, I'd played sort of 90 minutes the night before. And I'm, something's going through my mind. I'm thinking, what have I done? Have I done something wrong? The chairman's there. If the chairman's there, it's got to be something bad. I, you know, I just, obviously, I was young and naive, so I didn't know what, what the situation was. I walk, remember walking in or just down my mum's drive and there was this big BMW part there, which was Price Griffiths and uh, Brian Flynn. I've walked in the house and so Brian Flynn basically said to me, he said, how's things? And I was like, have I done something wrong? He's like, no, no, all fine. He said, uh, how do you think you played the other night? I said, oh, I think I, I did all right. Obviously I've scored and, you know, I think I've done okay. He went, right, okay. He said, well, just to let you know, he said, uh, Liverpool want to buy you. And, and I was sort of, I said, what do you mean Liverpool? He said, Liverpool want to buy you. They've come to watch on Tuesday night they like what they see and they want to buy you. And I was like, oh, right, okay. So he said, I'm, I don't want to put any pressure on you. You don't have to go. I said, right, okay. He said, but financially, he said, we're not in the best position at the moment as a football club. So I was like... <laughs> what a fact. You don't have to go, but please go. <laughs> yeah, so I said, right. He said, so he said, if you did go, obviously you'd be helping the club out massively financially. He said, but, he said, I'm not pushing you out the door. So he said, but it's Liverpool. I'd always supported Man United. Right. If it, if it had been Man United, I wouldn't have even, I'd, I'd just gone, yeah, now let's go. I was like, right, okay, Liverpool. He said, don't forget, he said, you know, they're the dominant force in, in the UK and this. And I said, well, I'm not going to get in their team really, am I? He said, oh, you will. You know, it'll take time, but you'll get in, you'll get your chance and stuff like that. So in, I, I was like, right, okay. Obviously spoke to my mum and dad and they were like, it's your decision, do what you want to do. So I said, okay. I said, yeah, okay. I said, if it helps the club out, obviously I was thinking that the club had given me my chance. And the last thing I wanted to see was my hometown club in any sort of financial difficulty. So I was like, right, okay, I'll go. So he said, right, go upstairs, get your suit on. You're signing at six o'clock. Wow. I was like, what, what do you mean? He said, go now, get your suit on. We're driving straight over. This was quarter past five. And I was like, now? He said, yeah. He said, they're playing West Ham tonight. 
Yeah. I need to say they have nothing. So he said, yeah, he said, so you're going over. He said, they're playing West Ham at Anfield tonight. He said, and we're going to go over, get your medical done. So I went over, had my medical done, walked up these steps to the director's box. And one of the stewards said to me, I was obviously with Brock, with the gaffer and, and props. Uh, and one of the students said to me, he said, oh, you're sat there next to Mr. Dalgleish. So I was like, Kenny Dalgleish? He was like, yeah, Mr. Dalgleish. I said, Ke- Kenny Dalgleish? He was like, Kenny Dalgleish, yes. So I'm like sat by him and he says to me, obviously in his, in his Scottish accent, which I can't do, he said, oh, well done, son. He said, obviously you've got your move. Uh, hard work starts here. He said, I've heard some stuff about you. You've got a, a tough Welshman to, to displace there. And I was like, yeah, yeah. And I'm still like thinking, that's Kenny Dalgleish sat next to me. And I turned to Brian Flynn and said, that's Kenny Dalgleish. <laughs> he was like, yeah, it's Kenny Dalgleish. Just, <laughs> just, it was just a surreal moment. We'd end up, we, Liverpool had ended up winning 1-0, but it was just like, you see it now, sort of signings, you know, everything's a massive song and that's about it. That was sort of, even though there was a lot of press there and stuff, it sort of went a little bit under the radar. Uh, I went down after... And basically, they just said, right, uh, there's a reserve game at Coventry. And that was it. So basically, from Tuesday night playing at Scarborough, I didn't even have a chance to say anything to the lads because I hadn't seen them. This was off on Wednesday. Drive over on the Wednesday, sign. I I didn't speak any personal terms. I didn't know what money I was getting. I didn't know what the length of the contract was. All I did was my medical, and I signed a piece of paper, and I signed a contract to say... And Brian Flynn did my, did my contract with Paris Griffiths. And three weeks after, two or three weeks after I signed, I still didn't know what I was getting paid. <laughs> I mean, I just, it wasn't about money. It was just about, obviously, making sure that Repton were okay financially. Yeah. And going to a club which at the time were in probably the top three in the world, you know, won European, numerous European Cups. So, and obviously it was a new challenge. Uh, so, but it, it was it was it was an eye opener because the day after, uh, Phil Thompson said to me, "Get your gear and go back to Wrexham. You're not good enough." And wow. that was yeah. I was going to ask how daunting it was. I mean, was, did you play? You, you did you play against Coventry? Well, this was the thing. So we're playing. So we're playing away Coventry Highfield Road. Gone yeah. in the morning. Basically gone in. We'd done a little bit of training got on the bus, went to Highfield Road, named the team, I'm on the bench. Ian Rush is playing up front, but he's coming back from injury. Okay, yeah. So he played 86 minutes and Phil Thompson, who was the manager at the time, said to me, Lee, go get warmed up, you're going on. So I go on the pitch, 89th minute, whatever it was, ball goes over the top, I get on the end of it, I go round the keeper, I'm at a tight angle, sort of past the six-yard box, I've cut it back, I've hit the post and it's gone out for a goal kick. Mm. Within a minute... Game over. So go in the change rooms after. We won the game 1-0. And uh, Phil Thompson's come in and this steam coming out of his ears. He's blood red. I'm thinking, what's up with him? You know, we just won the game 1-0. And he started pointing at everyone. That's a disgrace. You were crap. You were poor. You were this. You were that. And I'm sat at the time at Highfield Road where Coventry played. There was a big pillar in the change rooms for anyone who's ever been in there. And I was sat behind the pillar. Right. And I'm hearing this, your shit, da-da-da. If you'd have played like him tonight, you'd be a good player to point at Rushy. 
Yeah. And then he's going around and he gets him he gets to obviously me and I'm behind a pillar and he can only probably see half of me. And he went, and you hiding behind that in pillar, you're a disgrace like that. So I sort of put my head around like that and I said, What are you on about? He went, listen, son, he said, You've been here five minutes. If you can't score that goal after coming on after a minute, you're no good for for, for Liverpool Football Club. So I suggest in the morning. Go and see the gaffer, get him to rip the contract up, and off back to Wrexham. And I'm sat there, I'm thinking, is he is he testing me? Is he trying to take a piss a little yeah, bit? Yeah, it sounds that way, doesn't it? Deadly serious. And and that was the norm for five years. God's honest truth at Liverpool, for five years, that was how it was. Every day you got it on the head of the stick, no matter what. I played in games where I scored goals, scored hat tricks, and every day you got it head on, got hit on the head. And all they were doing was trying to get you to play a standard where the past players have played. And I got and I get that. And but at the time, you and you when you're in it, and I've come from a club at Wrexham, which is a really caring club, a great group of players, experienced, put their arms around you, listen, you got to do this better, blah, blah, blah. It's going to Liverpool where the manager, after one minute, is literally telling me, go back to Wrexham because you're not good enough. And But that was a common theme throughout my sort of stay at, at, uh, at Liverpool. And I remember the first six months, I absolutely hated being there. And every day in training, I'd get there as late as I could. So if we started at 10 o'clock, I'd be there at quarter to 10, get changed straight out. I'd be the first out the training ground because I couldn't stand hanging around. And the, and the first thing I'd do was drive back to the race course and I'd sit in the change rooms with the lads and I'd just talk with the lads all afternoon. And after about probably six weeks, Joey pulled me and he said, what's going on? And I said, listen, Joe, I said, I hate it. I said, I, I, I just, everything that I do, I haven't got anything other than your shit, you're this, you're that, you're rubbish, get back to Wrexham, all that kind of stuff. And he said, I'm happy you said that. And I was like, what do you mean, Joe? He went... The time to worry is when they don't say anything to you. He said, now, right. if you're there for the next 10 years and they're doing that to you every single day, they like you. And I was like, how can they like me, Joe? You know, I'm 17 or I've just turned 18 and they're hammering me every day. He said, don't worry, get your head down. Don't come back here now in the afternoons. Get your head down, work hard, stay out on the training ground, be as, as dedicated a footballer as you can be and work hard and you'll get your chance. He said, and the time that they don't say anything to you, come to me. And he said, and then you'll need to look. He said, because you're gone in their eyes. He said, and that's, that's why it will be. And for five years, he was spot on. You know, obviously he's been like a father figure to me anyway. You know, all the time I was at Wrexham and uh, his advice was just invaluable at the time because I'm thinking, you know, I don't think I'd have lasted probably three months at Liverpool without Joey, just because obviously he'd been there, he'd seen what, they'd done exactly the same to him, he was from the estate in land, didn't know, he wasn't a scouser, but it it did, it got easier, because obviously I got nearer the first team and I played in numerous games, I, I played, you know, I was on the bench for around 25, 30 games in the, the second to last season I was there, and it got easier, but every day in training was a whip, and every time, you know, every time we played, it was, you're not good enough. You know, a little comment. Ronnie Moran used to, used to like, come in after training 
And you'd think, oh, I've had a really good training session there. And he'd say, no, as good as Ian Rush, son. And just walk out. Mm. And that was it. And you used to sit there thinking, hold on a minute, I think I've done all right today. But that's <laughs> like, it's crazy, honestly. I mean, it just, it, that sort of tough love just sounds sounds crazy nowadays doesn't it you know when you yeah. you've got there's stuff about mental health a lot more than you than yeah. people ever thought about back then yeah. do you think that sort of <laughs> that sort of treatment for five years when you were at, when you're at liverpool actually held you in good stead for the rest of your career or do you think it held you back uh, i would probably say a little bit of both if i'm being honest because I, I was the type of player that like i like praise so if, if, if i done if i'd done well I like to be told that I've been done, you know, that I've done well. I don't like to, and if, but if I've done poor, I want to be told, listen, you've been poor today, but you need to do this, 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 and this to get better. But it was, it was never anything. I'll give you one example. So Robbie Fowler and played up front. Last game of the season in the 94, 95 season, we're playing Leeds and fielding for the 35,000 in the reserves. And Liverpool always used to win the reserve league. And they've got John Lukic, Steve Hodge, Eric Cantona, Gary McAllister, Gary Speed, all playing for them. Me and Robbie are playing up front. Scored four, Robbie scored three. We win the game seven two. We win the league. We come in and change after, and uh, Sammy Lee was the manager at the time, and he said, "Listen, lads, well done." He said, "There's a box there with your medals. If you want to take one, take one." And that was it. And next thing, the door flew open come off its hinges and it's Ronnie Moran raging and I'm thinking what's up with Ronnie you know he come in and he said listen well done tonight good win he said well why are you smiling he said uh, how many chances did you have tonight and I said well six or seven and he said to Robbie Fowler he said oh, and why are you smiling he said well I've just scored scored three and he went how many chances six or seven he said well four goals and three enough for Liverpool Football Club so you two in the morning are coming in and you're doing extra shooting with me and he said the, the goalkeeper's in the corner who hadn't even been on the pitch and he said I don't know why you're laughing he said you're coming in with me tomorrow and you're going to do some shooting with these two and I was like I just no matter what we do I said we can't we just can't get well done and that's how it always seemed and we went in in the morning after there wasn't a soul in the training ground there's Ronnie Moran me Robbie Fowler and Michael Stensgaard who was the goalkeeper reserve goalkeeper at the time yeah yeah we did shooting for an hour and a half and he went right off you go see you tomorrow yeah I was going to say it sounds hmm, how can I put this interesting um, yeah I don't think you get away with it you know because it is I, I look, look back and I wouldn't say it's a form of bullying but, you know, there, there's a little bit of, you know, sometimes you've, you've got to give some praise. And I get the bits that if you have six chances, you've got to score six goals. Realistically, that yeah. happened. But they were always trying to make you stay at a level. They never wanted you to drop to a, to just be a bang average. It was always right, the best you can every day, every day. And I got that side of it. But I also thought that, Treating players is different, you know, like a man manager now would treat, yeah. I don't know, a player, a centre-half differently to maybe a centre-forward, you know, that, yeah. that kind of stuff. But Do you think they sort of play the character a bit more now? I think they do. Yeah, I, I think now you need to be, 
you need to be adaptable as a manager. It's not just the player has so much control now that you know over yeah. over the club and the manager says, right, do this, and he goes, no, nah, do you know what? I can't be bothered. You know, we've seen in the past couple of years, you know, players refusing to warm up. You know, and you're mm. on the subs bench, and you're like, how can that happen? But the player's got probably most of the control of it now, which, you know, isn't right. But I think football's become more of a business than a sport. Quick fire questions about about the players and staff at your time at Wrexham. Who is the most skillful? Oh, skillful, I would say Carlos Edwards and Lee Trundle. Okay. If you have to put one above the other? Lee Trundle. Okay. Who is the worst dressed? Andy Dibble. Uh, yeah, well, we talked about Andy Dibble's dress sense quite uh, a lot and, in this Andy podcast. Dibble, Andy, Andy Dibble went out for a night out in pre-season in the Isle of Man in a pair of golf spikes. <laughs> was he being ironic? Was he... God's honest truth. We played golf in the afternoon. He came down into reception with his golf shoes on with the spikes still in it. Not the rubber spikes, the proper metal spikes. And he's clip-clopping across the, the reception. It's like, what are you doing? He said, oh, I've got no shoes. I'll have to wear these. And he wore them out. Into, to a nap all night out in the Isle of Man. That was honestly God's honest truth. I mean, I, I have no it. words. I, I have no it. words. Right, who's the biggest moaner? Darren Ferguson. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Don't even have to think anyone about who's that. played. Yeah. Oh. Anyone who's played with Ferguson says oh, the same. Yeah. Moan. Gee, and mate. God, I've never known anyone like it. Tibble Scott. Who was the most underrated player? I'd probably say Andy Morell. I don't think Andy Morell got the credit, you know, scored scored a lot of goals in that season that we got promoted. But Andy Morell did so much more than just score goals, you know, and, and a lot of people didn't see what else he did. You know, he was certainly underrated. I would say my other my other one that I think would be Steve Roberts. Steve Roberts right. alongside Brian Carey was rock solid, you know, young lad, sort of playing his trade. And he was really reliable every week. You just knew that, you know, I, I got to be honest, I thought Steve would go on to play in the Premier League comfortably. You know, unfortunately, he had a, 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 a bad back injury, didn't he? And he didn't sort of get to that level, but Steve was very underrated. No, good answer, actually. Right, and finally, who's the tightest with the cash? Tightest with the cash? Who didn't get the round in? Obviously, Gary Mills gets a round in, so we know about that. Yeah. Uh, Dibs very rarely got the round in. Oh, he can't get to the bar, he's falling over. No, no he can't because he's got his spikes <laughs> on, he's falling over. Fergie, Fergie very rarely got a round in. Uh, and then probably earlier than that in my first spell, I would probably say... I mean, remember Graham Cooper? I I remember I, ooh, I never Cooper. saw him play, but I remember him being on the back Graham. of the leader when I used to deliver it. Yeah, yeah. Graham Cooper was tight as well. There was, there was a few, to be fair, Garth. Yeah. Let's go to the sort of second spell now. Um, I mean, you'd 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 gone to Tramme, you'd spent a few seasons at Barnsley. Was there any doubt in your mind when, when the call came to come back? I know Dennis was in charge, but also yeah. also a second question to that is, how much had Flynn revolutionised that club in the time you'd been away? Yeah, uh, I mean, the, the back end of my sort of period at Barnsley, uh, I had a bit of a fallout with a manager uh, who's actually the assistant manager now, Steve Parkin. 
Right, okay. Uh, so I had a bit of a fallout with him. Uh, we all ended up pretty amicable in the end. You know, he didn't rate me as a player. I didn't really rate him as a manager, you know. So it was sort of, that's that's the way it was. We ended up parting ways, the same as what, you know, most players do. And I remember him saying to me, he said, Wrexham would like to take you back. So I said, oh, okay. He said, uh, Joey Jones uh, has, has spoke to us and he said, you know, he wants you to go and speak to him. So I remember driving back from Barnsley thinking, oh, great, you know, I've got a chance of going back to my hometown club. And I sort of felt that I'd sort of come full circle, you know, and and obviously I'd spoken to Dennis and Dennis was like, I, I'd sort of got there. I think we had something like six games of the season left, but we already looked like we were going to get relegated, you know, because yeah. it'd be we'd had a poor season. And I remember playing a couple of... I remember speaking to Dennis first. And he said, listen, he said... Come in. I was on non-contract, so I wasn't getting paid. He said, we may be able to do something for you in the summer, but come back for the next six to eight games. He said, enjoy your football and, and, and we'll see where it takes us. So I was like, fine. So I ended up, you know, trade. Nothing had really changed a lot. You know, Kevin Russell was the, was the assistant manager. Mm. Uh, so obviously it had evolved a little bit. Obviously Brian had gone, Joey and Kev had gone. Uh, Pedge was the physio. Uh, obviously, Joey was still there. Kev was a sort of assistant manager. So they were still like the core of ex-Rex and players at the football club who knew the Rex and way, if you like. Yeah. So I had no hesitation in going back there and playing for, for no money because I thought to myself, well, you know, I had a couple of offers from other clubs and I just thought to myself, well, you know, let, let's see if, number one, we can keep Rex in the in the league. It was only when after sort of two or three games, I thought to myself, this, this could be a struggle. Uh, in terms of staying up, I think we got we ended up getting beat up at Blackpool, uh, and I think that was a sort of one where the, it was a bit of a nail in the coffin, if you like. And then, yeah, I remember the, the week after that, I think it was it may, I think it was maybe the last game of the season. I'm not sure was was the Cambridge game. <laughs> yeah, I remember that game. I'd ended, ended up scoring five in, uh, and straight after that, Dennis said to me, he said, "Listen, we want to keep you." He said, "You know, there's going to be an offer for you for next season." Uh, come in next week uh, there'll be an offer for you on the table he said because I'm going to build a team for promotion for next year and I want you to be part of it so I was like fine I said listen I'll sign it regardless of what other offers and I had probably half a dozen offers from other clubs obviously based on that but I'd gone back and scored five and I was a free agent I wasn't getting paid so I'd had offers but straight away I knew that I didn't want to go anywhere other than back to Wrexham and, and I signed, obviously, and then obviously that was the the year that we got promotion pretty much straight back. You know, we bounced back straight away. But you know, the, the the team that we had was a fantastic team. We had just everything that you you could wish for in that team. You know, the spine of the team. You know, we obviously got Dibs in goal, big Brian Carey alongside the Stevie Roberts or Dennis Lawrence, and then you've got Darren Ferguson in the middle. And then obviously you got Truns, Andy Morell, who had a fantastic season. You know, I sort of supplemented that as well. Uh, so we sort of knew after about 10 games that we were we were a good team because we were blitzing teams. Uh, and it just sort of snowballed and, and we ended up obviously getting promoted on the final day again by beating Cambridge final. Uh, and then I think I'd ended up scoring the fifth on the on the day. So it was nice to sort of, you know, in that 12-month period, 
be part of something to help the, the club, obviously, because I'd only ever finished at the bottom of the league, you know, for Wrexham. So to sort of come full circle, help the club, club get promoted. Uh, and then obviously stayed another 12 months. And then it was it was a case that Dennis had called me in and said, uh, next season we're only going to go with three strikers. And at the time there was Chris Llewellyn, Hector and Chrissy Armstrong. And he said, uh, we're only going to go with three next year. So I said, that's fine. And I, that's football. He said, I don't really want to leave you go, let you go because I think you can bring value to it. But he said, based on the finances of the club, we can't keep you on. So that's fine. And that was it. That was the end of it, really. So, but as I say, to sort of go full circle and then come back to your hometown club and, and help help them achieve promotion, which is obviously the, la- the last one as well, uh, all these years on, it's, uh, it was a good achievement. No, definitely. Just rewind to that um, first Cambridge game, because I could, for some reason that's one that always really sticks in my mind. I was, I was probably in about 13, 14 at the time. It was completely bonkers. What were your emotions, though? Because you've scored five goals, but your, your hometown club's just gone down. How did how you balance yeah, that? Yeah, it was, it, was, it was really bittersweet, because obviously I, we didn't know when we... Obviously, the final whistle had gone, and we had no idea that we'd been relegated. So obviously, you know, I scored the five goals. It was all sort of jubilant and stuff. And then I've got the match ball. Les Evans was taking photos. I'm thinking, I remember oh, that photo. Everyone remembers that photo. Yeah. So, uh, <laughs> so I'm thinking to myself, oh, you know, fantastic. You know, we've done our job. We've won the game comfortably. And then I get in the change room and everyone was just like, heads down. And I was like, what's happened? And we're relegated. Results obviously hadn't gone our way. And, and, you know, Dennis put it as it was. He said, you know, it, it, we didn't get relegated today. We'd been relegated based on the last 42 games, 44 games, whatever it was. And it was disappointing. So then you, you're obviously, you're walking out the ground. Now, it's probably my biggest achievement actually on a football pitch is scoring five goals. And then I'm walking out the ground and I'm just like, got this match boys threw it in the back of the car because we've yeah. been relegated. So I, I looked at it at the time where... We'd finished 92nd in my first spell. I've come back to help the club try and stay in the league. I've now got relegation sort of on my CV as well. So the next step was for me just to stay and obviously to try and help the club get back into the into the league one as it was. And did you have a feeling? Because I, I can remember I felt deflated, but we kept a core of really decent players. So yeah. I, obviously promotion wasn't a given but did you have a feeling that we had the possibly the players there to do it yeah i think when we when we started pre-season we had a really good pre-season if i remember rightly we started the season well uh and i think you know andy morell had scored probably after 10 games he was on something like eight or nine goals already something like that and we just had a feeling that we could score from anywhere on the pitch. So if Andy didn't score, Trun scored. Trun didn't score, I'd score. If I didn't score, Hector score. And then if none of the forwards scored, we might score from a set piece because Brian Carey might score from a corner or Stevie Roberts. We always thought we could outscore teams. That's how it felt. So every time we went on the pitch, we think, well, even when we went 1-0 down, it was never a case of, oh, we're in trouble here. Because we always knew that we would outscore teams because we had that much sort of quality in the team. But I think that's down to Dennis, you know. He... he He's really recruited well, got his players in and, and played them in their right positions as well. But then he also brought in the likes of Scott Green. So when we needed that sort of added boost sort of towards the last 10 games of the season, 
it was a fresh face and, you know, he demand, he, he'd been at clubs, you know, where he demanded success and he'd go on a pitch and he would be getting an extra 10% out of you. And, you know, people, a lot of people, you know, midfielder and he did okay. And a lot of people would think, oh, he was fantastic. But what, what a lot of people didn't see was what Scott Green was like in the changing room and what he was like in day-to-day training, setting standards. We already had that from Fergie and Brian Carey. These are what we've standards we've got to get to every day. But then you've got Scott Green in the mix as well. It's literally, that's how it's got to be, like this every single day. And I think that was a huge part in, in obviously getting promoted. I was just going to say about the promotion. Do you think that side reached its potential or do you think it was ripped apart a little bit? Uh, if I'm being honest, I thought it could have gone another 12, 18 months. Hmm. You know, in the second year, you know, we, we lost... We lost a, a few players, didn't we? You know, there's a fair few. I don't know. I don't know how many were actually moved on. But I thought to myself, if I, I almost thought that if we kept that whole team together, we could go through League One because we, we were that good. As I said, outscoring teams and we had pace, and we had power, we had experience. It was a good mixture. But it sort of got yeah a bit early doors with people. You know, there's players leaving and there was other players that weren't happy that X was getting this amount of money. And it's just, you know, just a few other little bits and bobs that sort of went on. But, yeah, you know, say that's football and, you know, your ideal is you'd have kept that squad together for maybe three or four years and added two or three every season. But obviously it's not reality, you know. You know, every team yeah. would love to be able to do that. But it was a very good team, you know. I think it would, it would certainly cope with today's football, you know, which is, yeah. and so you look back and it's the last promotion that the football club's got, you know, hopefully they'll, they'll get one pretty soon. God, I hope so. Right. This is a question 20 years in the making, right? Yeah. Take us back to the insurgency around the club. So there was a, there was a few sort of mutterings and I, I remember I did a story about the wages not getting paid and yeah. I approached you because you were a, like a senior man and a spokesman, but you couldn't say anything because of the situation. Yeah. Tell us now, finally, how were the players feeling when, when, when that was happening? Uh, it, was it a bolt out of the blue? Was it? I think, I think we sort of knew that it was coming, you know, and, and I think we didn't get, well, I know we didn't get paid for, for some like two months. Wow, it was, I didn't realise it was that bad. Yeah, I think it was too much. Or, or we got, we didn't get paid for the first month and then we got sort of part wages sort of a week, you know, after the set, after the first, so in and around five weeks, we'd, and I, you know, we'd been part paid and it, it just got to, a, it got to a point where I used to, and to be fair, you know, as I say, go back, yeah, I played for Motown Club for nothing, you know, and that, and, yeah. and, and, and that was a fact. But then, when you're a little bit older and then you're not getting paid and you've got bills to pay and you've got your wife saying, well, you know, where's, where's the money because we need to pay this or all that kind of stuff. And you've got, you know, we had, we had a team, you know, as I said, we had a load of experience with fa- and they all had families. Yeah. And when you're, yeah. Not, when you're not getting paid, it becomes a little bit fraught and a bit fractious and stuff. But I think, in, you know, in, for Dennis Smith, I thought he coped with it fantastically. He sort of, tried to keep it away from the players and deal with it himself. Mm. And I think he did that to a certain extent. And he just tried to say to us, listen, don't worry about what's going on off the field. You can't affect it. Let me deal with that. You deal with winning football matches. And I think 
we, we tried our best, don't get me wrong, but there's always that underlying factor in the back of your mind. Well, you know, why, why should I be doing this today? I haven't been paid for six weeks. Or I've had, or I've had a quarter of my wages in the last six weeks. It wouldn't happen in any other job. You know, it's... It's a difficult one, but you know, there's there's loads of clubs that are, you know Derby going through at the moment through administration and stuff, you know, and we're talking silly money now, whereas mm. it probably was silly money at the time in comparison to what it is now. But there's always that little bit of doubt in your mind that you know when you're going to get paid, how am I going to get paid? I might never get paid. It's, yeah. You just don't know. And, and we've signed contracts in in you know goodwill and honour and stuff and come to the end of the month and the gaffer comes in and he says, sorry, lads, you don't get paid this month. It's a little bit, what do you mean we're not getting paid? And then obviously yeah. takes over other little bits and pieces of your life then because you're having to get money from, borrow money from X, Y, and Z to pay your bills. And it's it's just difficult. And obviously it can obviously affect your performance, you know, and I think mm. possibly did in some games. Yeah. Well, no, no I can completely sympathise with that. I mean, it was... It, it was just a shame because there was such a good team on the pitch, but was being yeah. let down by what was what was being ha- what, happened off it. Off it, yeah, exactly. It was a it was a difficult situation for everyone, and not just the players. You know, the staff as well at the ground. You know, there was people losing their jobs, and you know, cleaners. You've got caretaker, you've got steward, all that kind of stuff. So it doesn't just you know, people say, oh, it affects the players massively, but you know, at the end of the day, Wrexham was and still is a community club. And the last yeah. thing you want is anyone losing their jobs. And, and that was what, what was on the line, basically. So it was a difficult period, don't get me wrong. And and hopefully, you know, we've got new owners in now, which we'll never, ever see that again. You'd, you'd hope so. <laughs> Let's lighten the mood a little bit, Lee. There's yeah. a segment we do which is called the fearless moment. It's fearless in devotion moment. It's it's a it's a section where you sort of look back at the proudest moments you had playing for Rex on being involved in Rex. And is there yeah. anything that sort of springs to mind? Uh, well, there's a couple of things. My debut, I made obviously my debut, my, my league debut at home against Rochdale and scored two, and we won two one. Uh, obviously. The week after, I think it was when I, oh, sorry, my, my full debut was the Man United game, and then we played Rochdale a couple of weeks after, and I scored in that. Uh, I, I think for me, I wouldn't say it was any particular moment on on the pitch. For me, it was who was involved at the football club at the time. So you know, we, we had obviously Brian Flynn and Kevin Reeves. We had Joey Jones, you know, absolute legend. We had Cliff Sear. Uh, we had Brian Prandle and we had Idris Price. Now, you know, I would say if if I hadn't been if I'd have only been coached by five of them people, I probably wouldn't have made it because every single one of them had something different, and you knew every time that you went into the training ground or into the ground afterwards, you'd you'd be a better player. And I always used to think that you know playing in the youth team. And Brian Prandle, I never forget his saying, and I obviously say it to him now. Uh, and his saying was uh, about a pat on the back. He said, "Never forget, a pat on the back is only six inches away from a kick up the arse." And I was like, "That's like a BP thing." That's a BP thing, and I'm like, "The only spot on." But they had that good mix. So Brian Prandle would come in and absolutely tear a strip out of you. And then Idris Price would come in and he'd go, listen, son, yeah, he's right, but, you know, you can get better and do this. And then you'd have Cliff see you and he would come in and he would be a sort of mixture of both. 
And that happened in the first team. So, you know, you had Kev Reeves who would go, yeah, Lee, brilliant today, fantastic. Joey would be like, yeah, but you need to get this better and that better. And then you had Brian Flynn, who was obviously the manager, who used to sort of have a mixture of both again. So I would say it was certainly the staff. No particular moment, really, other than maybe a debut or two. But the staff for me at the football club there, and, and they still are, you know, I still speak to every single one of them. Absolutely amazing people. And, and I can't thank them enough. I, I wouldn't be the, the player I was. I wouldn't have been the player I was. And I don't think I'd be the person I am today without them, certainly six people. You know, can't speak highly enough of them. Talking about Joey Jones, how good is it to see him back at the football club where he belongs? Ah, it's it's something that <laughs> got to be careful what I say here, I suppose. Uh, so I, I sort of know the ins and outs of uh, why he left. A lot of people probably don't, but I, I know the ins and outs. And for me, the way that he was treated was an absolute disgrace. You know, uh, a legend. Every club he's been at, Mister Wrexham. As I say, a father figure to me and the way that he was treated was nothing short of a disgrace. And the people who made that decision have got to live with that decision for the rest of their lives. And, you know, I hopefully, you know, they'll realise somewhere along the line that they made a massive, massive mistake. And I think the new owners have obviously, they've rectified it now and they've got him back in the football club. And the man is just a wealth of knowledge. He, he's probably forgot more than I'll ever know when you know, many people will ever know. And to have him not part of the Wrexham Football Club, for me, as I said, it was a disgrace. But lightening the mood, fantastic. Best thing for me that could have happened to the football club. And, you know, I, I think, again, now what you'll see, you'll start seeing a bit of a production line of players coming through under Joey. Whether he's involved in the same capacity as he used to be in the youth team and stuff, I don't know. But, you know, it's advice to young players. The young players are involved you know, certainly with him being back at the football club, it's fantastic. Yeah, definitely righted a big um, a big wrong there, I think. And I think even senior players um, like James Jennings was on um, the Rob Ryan Red podcast recently saying how much, you know, they used to talk to him in the changing room and stuff as well. So he's yeah. just, just for everyone. He, he always had your back, as I said before. We used to go onto the pitch as young lads. We knew we could make mistakes. And we knew that if we were going to get volleyed up in the air, that Joey Jones would be the first over and you guarantee that he would leave a little bit on somebody. And and that's just the way he was, you know. And we, we played in a, oh, I looked after a Legends game on Sunday down at Hard. And uh, Carl Connolly were just going down the tunnel and he's shouting, don't look at him, don't look at him. And that was Joey saying. So whenever we lined up in the tunnel, Joey would open the door They'd be lined up next to us where we're lined up and he'd be shouting at the top, don't even look at him, don't look at him, like that. And the Elsie Carl and, and like of Chalky and that, they're shouting on Sunday and it just brings back so many memories because that's Joey down to a T, you know. He, he's, it's some of the stories he's got are fantastic, but that's what he was like, you know, he had your back and you knew every time you crossed that white line, no matter what, he was behind you. And it was, it was, just, it was just a privilege to, you know, to, to play with him. Lee, let's move on to, um, so you sort of touched on it before, but but you got released at Wrexham. Did you feel a little bit disappointed? Did you feel there was another yeah. another season or two in you? Yeah, I mean, I was 32. Uh, I'd obviously been released at the time. And I'd, I'd had a couple of offers from, uh, could have gone up to Hibernian, uh, 
uh, Carlisle, York. Uh, there was a couple of other clubs, Colchester, stuff like that. And I just thought to myself, I'm not really sure whether I want to go and play at any of these clubs. They just it didn't really interest me, if I'm being honest. I knew that I could still have maybe a couple of years left in me, but the back end of my career, I'd started coaching at the Centre of Excellence. Yeah. And it really, I, it, I really enjoyed it. And I thought to myself, I first started under Darren Ferguson, coaching alongside Daz, and then I eventually got my own team. And that's how it sort of evolved. And I, I'd always had an interest in coaching. And I looked at it, I was 32, and I thought, I want to be a pro license holder. So I've got to go, I've got to go and get my B license, my A license, and then a pro. It's going to be probably a seven or eight year journey. So if I start now, by the time I'm 40, I should be a pro license holder. And I thought to myself, or if I carry on playing till I'm 35, 36, it's, I'm looking at probably mid 40s. And then obviously, it then becomes a little bit harder to get a job because you may have been out of the game a little bit longer and stuff. So I just decided then, I, I thought I'll go and play sort of semi-pro football. So I ended up going to Carnarvon and playing for Wayne Phillips and then started on my, my sort of coaching journey. And then within six years, I've become a pro license holder. So, you know, I, it was something that I'd always wanted to do. And it's obviously helped me in, in my career since, you know, obviously I've, I've been, I went I was doing the stuff at Wrexham with the academy. I've been at Swansea's academy. I was academy manager at Tranmere, and now I'm doing the, uh, the recruitment for the first team at Burnley. So even though the recruitment side doesn't sort of touch on the, the coaching side of it, when you're trying to judge your player, it comes in massively. So I think I probably could have played for another two or three years. And if Wrexham would have said, listen, there's another 12-month contract, I'd have signed it there and then. But because it wasn't Wrexham, and I felt that I'd done the full circle bit, I, I just, it didn't really, didn't really float my boat, if I'm being honest, going to someone like Carlisle or Hibernian. No, fair enough. I mean, yeah, you had a good little career in the Welsh leagues. Can can we yeah. can we touch on the Glyndor Academy because yeah. it seemed like it seemed like a great idea yeah. for a community club, a fan-owned club, to have that mm-hmm. sort of that that level of you know players all develop at different times. So yeah. you know when when it was being sounded out, I, I was thinking, yeah, this this sounds yeah. great. Yeah. Um, do you think he got the backing it it, it deserved? It was. Uh... Uh... I think it did certainly early doors. I mean, we, we obviously we set it up and uh, Kev Wilkin was employed at the time as the manager of the football club. And the idea was to bring in release players from the likes of Leeds and, you know, Man City, QPR, who've been released, uh, who have, would then get a second opportunity, but do a, a university degree alongside it. And the concept of it was fantastic. And, and it's that, it was that good that there's probably about 40 or 50 of them now running in the UK at either FE level or HE level. But this was the first of its kind. So, you know, people are obviously going to be a little bit sceptical and, and, you know, well, we've got our own academy. So why do we bring in players from Leeds and from, uh, from Man City, et cetera? And I, and I got that because I'd obviously worked in the Centre of Excellence for eight years but the idea was that we maybe get three or four, five, whatever it might be from the actual pool of players that Joey and Andy Davis were sort of coaching week in, week out. And you might get one from one of the other clubs or Leeds or whatever it might be. And if that player then goes into the first team and we end up selling him, well, the club have made money. Fantastic. 
And I think for the first sort of six, seven months, it worked quite well. So, you know, the players were training alongside. Uh, so we had like three different groups. We had the youth team, we had the Glyndur Academy, and we had the first team. And the gaffer might say, right, we need a couple of players from the youth team and we need a couple of players from Glyndur Academy. They go train with the first team. And it worked reasonably well. And then those that weren't playing, would, uh, those that were were not involved, we'd loan them out to different Welsh Premier League clubs. So, you know, there, there was five or six that went to different different avenues and, and different clubs and stuff, all while doing their education. So the concept was fine. I think it sort of fell fell flat on its face when Kev left, if I'm being honest, when Kev Wilkin okay. left. Because I think they employed, a, well, as I say, we've all, or you've obviously did the pod with uh, with Gary the other night. And, and I got on great with Gary. But at the time, I don't think that Gary was that bothered about the youth team. And I don't think he was that bothered about the Glyndua team. So it sort of fell flat. Uh, and... The sort of thing for me, and, and this was this was a conversation that I had with Gary, were, that he wasn't interested in the youth, you know. And I know I'd mentioned it to you before, and, and one of the first conversations I had with him was, you know, we looked on the board, we were in the academy office, and he said, all these names on here mean nothing to me. He said, you know, they're, they're nothing because they're never going to involve, they're never going to be involved while I'm at the football club. And I was like, yeah, but that's the Wrexham way. It's the youth. That's how... Over the past 20 years, it's been a production line of players coming through, selling them on, whatever it might be. It doesn't interest me. So I was like, right, okay. So then I'm I'm sat at the club with the Glyndur Academy, which now I know isn't going to be anything what it was previously because there's a manager who's not going to give the players a chance. So we didn't want them to train. The youth team at Wrexham didn't train with Gary. The Glyndua team certainly weren't going to train with Gary because of it. So I was a little bit, geez, what, what, what's, what sort of, what's the plan for it? And then literally, sort of out of the blue, about a week after, I get a phone call from Mark Palios at Tranmere. And he said to me, listen, he said, uh, I've heard what you've been doing at Wrexham, et cetera. I was like, oh, right, okay. He said, I know you're an ex-Tranmere player. He said, and we're looking for a, an academy manager and we'd like you to to come on board and be the academy manager. And I was like, oh, right. Can you come over and speak to me? So I was like, yeah, fine. Went over. I was sort of blown away with what he said in terms of they bought a new training ground, which, you know, they're obviously still in now. Uh, and he said, I want the academy to sort of be where it used to be. So I'm like looking at it. I'm like, well, I've got um, academy manager of Glyndur Academy and they've got no chance of playing because the manager's more or less just told me, well, I've got an opportunity to go to Tranmere. Now, I would never have wanted to leave Wrexham if they'd have said, we're going to do, he's got there's opportunities for the players, they're playing the first team, et cetera, et cetera. But I just knew there was no sort of pathway. So while the lads sort of carried on, because Dean Keats was obviously part of the cohort as well, he was doing a degree. So Dean Keats sort of took over the, uh, the running of the day-to-day of it and used to do all the coaching with the players. The players still carried on doing their, their university stuff. And then I'd obviously, I'd, I'd gone then and I'd gone to Tramia, but obviously I was still speaking to Dean and how the players were doing and stuff. And mm. I think there was something like, I think they all graduated from, from the university. So, yeah, they all graduated. They all got a degree. Joe Newton was one of the players who we brought in from Tramia. Uh, and now he's the first team analyst at Brentford in the Premier League. 
you know. So you look at it and you say, well, all right, the Glyndewer Academy wasn't a success. It might not have been a success on the pitch, but off the pitch, it was a success massively. So, yeah. and I think, obviously, you know, people look at it and they say, oh, well, you know, it, it didn't work because, you know, the players weren't good enough and this and that. The players probably were good enough. Were they good enough to play in Repsom's first team at the time? Maybe not, but they weren't getting the opportunity because the club had employed a manager who didn't want to play the youth. For the first 12 months, Kev Wilkin was fantastic with it. He embraced it. He'd have the lads train. Even on his day off, he would come in and he would coach the Glendua lads. If the lads would have a session in the afternoon at two o'clock, Kev would come in on a day off and he would coach the lads. And I was like, wow, you know, that's, that's like a proper manager. But... You know, it's 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 just that's how it was, and it sort of and as I say, I think it fell flat, just simply because there was then no pathway to it. And you know what it's like if you're at a club where first team manager goes, you're not going to play. Mm. What's the point in being there? If they weren't old enough for the pub. That might be uh, why, well, why it didn't happen. <laughs> yeah, well, I I I, uh, I saw that last night. To be fair, like I, I listened to the pod last night while I was walking the dog, and I thought to myself, yeah, I've heard a uh, I've heard a few stories about that one. So yeah, <laughs> you had a spell as a, a as caretaker, caretaker boss. You, you and Carl Darlington. Um, mm. Now they, we've had a few players on, and it, it sort of it, it sounds to us that, that Keb Wilkin didn't have too many allies among the senior pros at Wrexham. Did you have to build many bridges there? Did you have to sort of uh, sort of firefight a little bit? Yeah, I, I think to be fair, as I say, Kev Kev had gone in and, and he'd braced the the, the stuff fine. Uh, he was. I know they brought in Carl to help him with the coaching because mm. he brought in obviously Gary Mills number one, if you like. And Gary really, Gary didn't do any coaching. You know, he was sort of a bit of a motivator and stuff. Yeah, cheerleader. And Kev, yeah, and Kev used to do some coaching, but it was very sort of limited in what he did. So I think the club, you know, they brought in Carl. Carl's highly respected. I'd worked with Carl, you know, previously. Uh, years and years, you know, prior to that. And I knew what a good coach he was. And I thought to myself, if anyone can get a structure in place in the club, it'll be Darlow because, you know, he, he was fantastic, a fantastic coach. So obviously when when Darlow came in, everything was sort of running smoothly. And then the, the club had obviously decided to sort of part ways with Kev. And, uh, and Darlow had said to me, he said, listen, he said, you know, there's an opportunity if you want to to come and just help me out for five I think we had six or seven games something like that mm. so I said yeah listen if I can be of any help to you obviously I was still running the foundation at the time as well I said if I can be of any help I'll I'll willingly do it so again wasn't getting paid any extra money for, for doing it it was just it's my it's my football club and I'll do what I can to help it so obviously we, we'd gone in and we'd, we'd won a couple of games I, know, I think we'd I think out of eight games, I think we'd won four, drawn two, and lost two, something like that. And uh, and then it was it was a case of towards the end of that season, or towards the end of the season, there was sort of talk of, oh, would you take the job? And I was a little bit, mm, I'm not not really sure about that. Uh, and then obviously, so Keith, was that was that you and Carl, or was that you? Yeah, it was me, me and Carl. I was probably right. me the manager, and, and obviously Carl. And Keatsy was sort of brought into the mix as well. And uh, and I was a little bit, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm not 100% sure. I mean, as a manager, I wouldn't say that, you know, it, it's not something that I would put myself out. If someone asked me to go and give management a go, and I've done it at Druids with Wayne, 
I'd go and give it a go. But I'm, I sort of see myself as like a coach, as, a, as an assistant. You know, if I had to go and manage, and I would manage, and I wouldn't have a problem with it. But I think you know, people have different skill sets, and at the time, it was a little bit. I could probably go in and do it because I know enough about the game. I've got Darla with me alongside me. One of the things that sort of was chipping away in my mind was that I didn't really have the contacts for recruitment. Right. So I'm looking at it and I'm thinking, I knew there was like several contracts up at the end of the season. And I'm looking at it and thinking, well, if he goes, then who are we going to replace him with? Now you can, obviously the club at the time didn't have a scouting network, you know, and I don't think they've got one now to this day. So it's a case of, oh, well, let's see you scored the most goals last year in Conference North, whatever it might be. And I just looked and I thought, if I'm gonna if I'm gonna go into a job, I want to go into a job where it's gonna give me the best opportunity to succeed. Mm. And I just felt at the time that it didn't. Mm. I had to think about it and I said I would always help my football, my hometown football club, no matter what. But mm. you know, that was sort of looked and I just thought it just didn't 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 feel right to me just because there was two it looked like there was a lot of work to do. And obviously you'd you'd seen the amount of players that Gary Mills then brought in over the next two seasons I think he brought in some like 20 something players no, now, second season alone yeah yeah so so I, I look back at that and think it's probably a really good decision that at the time that I didn't that's very honest of you that you you, you just felt you didn't have that in your makeup that you knew enough players and contacts no, you, you know that's hard isn't it it's hard for, it for the likes of Morel yeah you know. of course it is and, and listen I've got admiration for every manager that puts themselves on the touchline and tries to get the team to win. You know, I'm, I'm assistant to, uh, to Neil Gibson at Flint at the moment in the Welsh Prem. And the amount of detail and the, the amount of work, he's, he's literally 24-7. Now, I just turn up, I have a chat with him before training, or an hour before training, we'll plan a session, we'll watch the game, we'll do the analysis. So really, alongside what I do with Burnley, it doesn't really impact what I do. But if you're doing it full-time, you're consumed in it 24 hours a day. Yeah. And there's no there's no breathing space. And as I say, at the time, I looked and I was like, I think I can do the job, but I don't think there's, I don't know enough, I haven't got enough contact. You know, I could have picked the phone up to a couple of managers and said, can you lend me this player? Can you lend me that player? Yeah, I've got a network of contacts to do that. But just at the time, you, you get a gut feeling, I think. And, and I had it at clubs that I could have gone to. And I just got the gut feeling that I didn't want to go to that club. And I didn't. And it was the same when the, when the job came along, you know. And as I say, I was never offered the job, you know. Don't get me wrong. It was not something that I, I turned down because I would have if they'd have said, can you help us out? I could have done it willingly. But, you know, I think Gary then took over and and obviously the rest is history with that. Yeah. Did, does it surprise you at Carl Darlington is sometimes maligned by Rex and Wrexham fans. It's like he's yeah. associated with, with I don't know, with failure in some ways. And yeah, I, I, I think I, I think the problem with Carl is, or sorry, not the problem with Carl. There's no problem with Carl. I think the problem with the fans is the perception of Carl. Now, don't get me wrong. Carl's probably one of the top coaches in Wales, if not the UK, in in what he does. He's absolutely detailed. You know, he knows different systems, different formations, and stuff. But that isn't going to win you a football match. You know, you can have all the tactics and you can get on the tactic board for an hour and all this kind of stuff and you can do the training and that isn't going to win you a football match because you need heart, you need desire, you need enthusiasm, you need players who want to play for you. You need a bit of luck on a Saturday. 
And I think that many people look at Carl and think, because he's a top coach, we should be winning every week. Doesn't that, that that's be realistic. It's not going to happen, you know? And, and I, I've seen it this season to a certain extent, you know, I, I know that Steve Parkin, all right, he wasn't flavor of the month with me when I was at, uh, at Barnsley, but I know that he was a very good manager at Rochdale and he's been a very good assistant to Phil Parkinson at Bradford and other clubs at Bolton. And I know that I, I know what he does. So I know that they will get, or he will get the best out of the players. But would he then become, a, if they get promoted, would he be a better coach than Carl Darlington? No, he wouldn't be. Well, not in my opinion anyway. Hmm. You need a lot more than just being a good coach. But I think the perception is of the Repsom fans that oh, we should be winning every game because we've got Carl Darlington, you know? Yeah, Pep Darlington or whatever they used to call him. You know, <laughs> yeah, they like, did, yeah. You have a giggle about it and you're just like, it's it's not reality, you know. When Wrexham will lose probably six or seven games this year, but if they get promoted, so what? You know, if they lose six or seven, people as soon as you lose one game, it's panic mode. Just relax, you know. You're gonna lose games. Big clubs lose games, you know. Don't worry about it. It's life. We lost God knows how many games in that season. We got promoted. Didn't bother us. It bothers the fans. But then if they go into a game, if they go and watch the game the next home game that they're playing and then it transmits into the players, then the players aren't going to get the benefit. Yeah. So, you know, it's difficult. It's a difficult one to marry up really because, you know, the fans at the end of the day are everything, but you need them to sort of be a little bit more realistic about what is going on at the football club rather than being also drama queens as well. <laughs> well, yeah, yeah, there's a, there's a few, there's a minority, isn't there? That, like that. And, but you get that every club, you know, there's always that sort of 1% of the club that, you know, think that it should be done differently at the end of the day. The manager's getting paid and the, and the coach is getting paid. Give them the best opportunity, which they clearly do, and they're getting back now. Give them the best opportunity to come succeed. And then if they don't succeed, well, you move on and bring somebody else in. So it should be. I often wonder with Carl as well, you know, we had such a high turnover of managers. Yeah. How long has he ever really had to work with one particular manager because it's been you yeah. know so short term in the last few seasons, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're right. I mean, there's obviously he's worked with he's worked with Kev Wilkin, he's worked with Keatsy. Did he work with Gary early doors? I'm not sure. Did he work with Gary Mills early doors? So yeah, he's it's you know Sam Ricketts obviously, Yozza. You look at it and you think mm, okay, but again, people then say, well, the reason we're failing isn't because of the manager, it's because of Carl. Because Carl's a common denominator through through the whole manager. Well, that doesn't stack up. If Carl was a common denominator, then he would have gone after two managers. They're keeping him around for a reason. They're keeping him around because he's good at his job. So let him get on with it. Don't worry about what goes on on a Saturday. Just come and cheer the lads on at three o'clock. Do your best to get behind the team and let's see if we can win. And don't worry about what else goes on, you know. But like we say, you get that percentage of fans at every club. We're not the only club that, that is like that. I've been every club I've been that there's that one percent. This is the very last question from me. Yeah. Do you think there's any unfinished business for your hometown club? Do you want to is there a way that you can see yourself coming back and you know, to get the academy firing or the scouting? If if there was a role that obviously would make a difference at the football club, then yeah, I would. I'd, I'd be interested in, in going back. Certainly, of course, I would. It's my hometown club, and and yeah, 
I've, I've gone full circle as a player. Uh, I've obviously started my coaching at Wrexham, so to either finish coaching or scouting at Wrexham, yeah, I, I would never say never. Uh, it would have to be, though, something that, you know, I wouldn't just want to go in there and be, say, an academy coach. I'd want to be able to go in and, and, and make a difference, whether it be, you know, sort of structuring a department, either resurrecting the academy to what it used to be, all that kind of stuff. You know, I wouldn't just want to go in and just say, well, you know, you're a bit of a, you know, get the waters and all that kind of stuff. It, it would have to be something that would make a difference to the football club and, and progress it, you know. But yeah, I would never say never. Thanks again to Lee Jones for his time. What a great listen that was. Uh, it's time uh, now where we discuss our shitey heroes, the worst Wrexham 11 of our lifetimes. Today we finish off our midfield trio. Uh, Andy, you can go first because you're always the best prepared. Um, so you've got no longer than a minute to, to make your nomination. Three, two, one, go. I do not need a minute for this player. Sometimes there's plays you can't quite remember if you've ever seen. They're a myth, a gas, a notion flying on the wind. You know the name, you know that they definitely played for, for you, but did they really? Nathan Wolfe was such a player. Coming from a top flight site like Bolton, you expected him to be top draw. You, you always think it's like United loaning Preston David Beckham. He played in the same position, but he was not David Beckham. Wolfie, as he probably liked to be known, started well, twatting in a free kick at Weymouth. Things went down for the Wolf man after that. Nine games followed that no one can remember. Wolf Kohler got sent back. He then got released and did the non-league circuit with little aplomb. He's quite well regarded at Connors Key Nobad, so. Also, his brother was an MP for the UK Independence Party, which says a lot. He's not even the most famous wolf in his household. And he's not even a real wolf. What was the point? Goodness me, a lot of facts in there. Are you sure Nathan Wolf only scored one free kick? Uh, yeah, I just well, I've just got this theory that he scored three or four really good three free kicks. Or is is that? Are you I, thinking of Nathan Fairhurst? I don't think so. Maybe is it, this is a, this is the point that these notions they just sort of multiply in our heads over the years. Yeah, for, for you, Nathan Wolf was the top scorer of the two thousand and eight season. <laughs> yeah, he, well, he may as well have been. Um, okay, thanks for that nomination, Andy. Tim, you can go next. A uh, few sentences. Give us your nomination. Three, two, one, go. Right, I've gone for Callum Powell. Um, he was one of a plethora of surreal second season signings by Gary Mills. And the diminutive winger, he was a sub for the first first seven games of that season, I think, um, before getting both goals in a 2 old draw at Maidstone. Uh, one hamstring strain and a change of manager later, and Powell's back to the fringes of the team. Uh, Dean Keats found him out on loan to Leamington and Tamworth before being one of nine players released at the end of that season because we finished 13th and we were shite. Um, when when Powell was released, he basically was quoted as saying, it's frustrating, I felt I had done well and the fans took to me. Um, you didn't and we hadn't, I'm afraid to tell you. Um, I think it was 24 appearances, 17 were off the bench. He was quick, direct, but maybe we'll never really know whether he was a rough diamond or not. Um, and since then, he's bounced around clubs at a lower league ever since. So kind of tells you that, you know, is level, I suppose. Um, not very not very great for us. Thanks for that nomination. Tim, uh, Liam, you're up next. Uh, three, two, one, go. 
So uh, Andy's just talked about players that uh, you're not sure if you ever saw. Well, my nomination, I know for a fact we never saw him. Uh, I don't know anything about him. His name is Tom Taylor. Uh, the end. Yeah, don't know anything about him. <laughs> That's the perfect nomination for Tom Taylor that, that there could ever be. Um, I'm going to go against um, the usual thing this week. I'm pleading illness because uh, I've just been on the sofa for two days, so I've not really got an excuse. I could have researched, but I've just been drinking lemp sip. What I'm going to do instead is loyal listener Jonah Devitt, who emailed us in his full Shite Heroes 11 a couple of months back. I'm just going to sum up the names that he gave us for sort of middle of the park and wingers. He said, uh, Kaleem Bailey Nichols, uh, what was he for? Claimed he'd scored a modest 30 goals. Don't score he ma- Don't think he managed 30 minutes in the end. Adam Smith, who I think is in the team, isn't he? No. That's no. Uh, the little winger that we didn't we get from Halifax or somewhere. Oh, yeah, this is a different Adam Smith, yes. Scored a, scored a belter at Kiddy away and then went down for credit card four. That was, I was there for that game. <laughs> with the, Yeah, so was I. Great with, goal. With, yeah, and Gary Mills proper go for it at the end. Loved it. Uh, Centre mids, Anthony Barry, who was nominated a couple of weeks back. James Hurst, I know he was a full-back, but at centre mid at Macclesfield away, put in the single worst performance for an individual I've seen for a player in a red shirt. Then there's the whole millionaire weighing on a cash point and COVID cough arrest, which I'm not familiar with, but I will Google after this podcast. Uh, subs, Callum Powell, simply for the halftime entertainment. And then this was a great shout, actually. Kemi Augustine came with loads of hype to kick on a stalling title charge. He's a perfect metaphor for Re- of for Wrexham of past gloried players not quite making it. So There's no, not quite against Augustine. He did not make it. Uh, he got, didn't yeah. he get pulled off in his first game away at Hartlepool? I think I was Indeed. there. Might want, to ref- uh, might want to rephrase that. Because <laughs> he, he, all my when he signed for when he signed for us, all my mates were like, oh, you know, they were really jealous, saying he's a brilliant player, like he was so good at Swansea, and he just bless him, didn't seem to do much to do. Right, okay. Anyway, the three main nominations. Um, I'm tempted by Tom Taylor. I, I actually tracked him down for a feature in the uh, Daily Post. Did you? Yeah, so he, he, do, he does exist, but he didn't exist. Or might as well have not existed at Wrexham. Only in the Daily Post. Uh, I, we, we, we spoke via email. I remember that. Let's right. get him on. Let's get him on. We need him on. I've, I, I, could dig his, I could dig his contact details out. I'm sure he'd Tom Taylor was Tom Tit. That's what we're saying. <laughs> That's basically what it is. And Andy won't hear a bad word against Callum Powell because he's best mates with Gary Mills and wants to marry him. So um can rule that one out. I think you're in a, a minority there, Andy. Andy loved uh, Gary Mills last week. Look, right, it's probably not Nathan Wolfe who was a passable footballer. I didn't like the cut of Powell's jib, I'll be honest, but you've got to be yeah. Tom Taylor. He's a, Wrexham, he's a Wrexham legend for all the wrong reasons. Yeah, I agree with that. Let's go, Tom Taylor. It makes it makes total sense. Tom Taylor, you're our third midfielder in the Shite to Heroes. Congratulations if you're listening. Is he even a midfielder? We just don't know. Predictions, Andy, the old shot gamers. Uh, ruined those predictions, so we'll have to redo them. Oh, whoa, 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 whoa! I went for two nil, and the did game, you? The game 
finished 2-0 so no, I'm absolutely absolutely not. Points. Absolutely not. points for that it's voided it's voided it's voided I He's... played the rest of the game in my head later and we still <laughs> won 2-0 at least you got the score because right. the, the ball wouldn't move yeah, <laughs> yeah. right uh, okay uh, so what we got next Chesterfield and the yeah? I'm going to go first um, we were really bright yesterday and I think Chesterfield are on the rack a little bit I'm going to go for a 3-1 victory uh, Reese, do you want to go next? Um, I'm going to go for a draw. I think we'll play well. Oh, Christ. <laughs> I think we'll play well. Toza uh, out is a blow. Might, but I think one all. Similar to the Notts County game. We'll play really well in the first half uh, and we'll, we'll get a one all draw. You were completely wrong. Tim, show him how much wrong he is. He is wrong. We're going to dick those furloughs. It's 4-0. Happy days. Oh, I have to get the flipping bleep machine out again now. All right, I take that back. Let me say, all right, we're going to hammer them furlough idiots 4-0. Thank you. And finally, Randers. I'm going to go for another Desmond, just because I've noticed that Chesterfield didn't like that particular score too all. That's it. Thank you very much for listening. We appreciate it. Got more guests lined up for you over the next few weeks. So we're looking forward to bringing those, including uh, Rooster Part 2, which has some great stories in it. But uh, for now, goodbye. Bye. Cheers.